My name is Jake LaFerrier. Um, my title is Founder and Executive Director of Firefighters for Healing. So what inspired you to create Firefighters for Healing? Um, well, what inspired me was an event that I had um, as a second generation Minneapolis firefighter. So uh, kind of rewinding the clock a little bit. Um, this So I had a dream as a young kid. So my dad used to be a firefighter um, for the city of Minneapolis for many, many years. And when I was young, uh, about three years old, he used to bring me down to the firehouse to, you know, ride it on the rigs and get candy and just go down there and check out the fire trucks. Like, and I just loved it. So, um, it really started this childhood dream to be a, you know, Minneapolis firefighter like my dad many, many years at that age. So, um, it took me many, many, many years to bring this dream to fruition. And it finally came to be a reality, uh, in January, 2001, where I actually took over in my dad's the same firehouse used to take me to when I was a young kid. It's Fire Station 8. It's Minneapolis Fire Station 8. It's off 20th and Bladesdale. It's one of our busiest uh, firehouses in the city. So I started my career, ironically, just where I was a little kid, kind of you know riding the rig. So um, long behold, I, I spent a lot of years there having a lot of fun, doing what everybody on the big red truck loves to do, is put the wet stuff on the red stuff and go to fires and help people on EMS calls and, you know, shootings. And, and, um, so I had a great career. So I eventually, um, into the career a little bit, I was on a, um, a rescue nine. I was at a place, a fire station called station 11. I was on a rig called rescue nine, which was, uh, one of our two rescue companies here in the city of Minneapolis. We specialized in, um, hazmat as well as just rescue operations. So, kind of to sum it up we are a big toolbox so when there's something really really bad happening they'll call us we're a big tool toolbox with a, a specialized skill set so you know like 35w bridge collapse those kind of things yeah. we will respond to um so on hoot um kind of getting to we're getting back on track here where the where the organization kind of was born is july 3rd 2010 um it was a Saturday. It was a beautiful Saturday. And I was working. We were, I was going to the station to work that Saturday. It was our work day. We worked 24 hour shifts. So and it was heading into the work that day. And it was just a beautiful Saturday morning and heading in there, get in there to start our shift. And it's in the fire service. You're kind of like getting on shift. You're kind of heckling the offgoing shift. So, you know, Saturdays, it's pretty much you get in there, have some coffee, have some talk, coffee, talk. You're given you know, you're heckling the other shift and you're learning what, you know, what they did that day, that previous shift and, you know, where the rigs at, you know, where the supplies, you know, kind of like making sure the rigs in a good place and what they did. So we have an understanding of um, if there's anything we need to do. So anyway, we're kind of in um, shift change and uh, sat the Saturday routine as I'm throwing my stuff on the rig is, is rig day. So what we do on rig day is we wash the rig, we inventory the rig, we wash everything, all the hearse tools, all the saws, make sure you got, there's gas in there. So, pretty much standard day. Um, so we're out there doing the rig stuff and, and then being that we work 24 hour shifts, we're going to go out, we eat lunch and dinner together, you know, so we're going to go out and grab some lunch. No big deal. This is about 11 o'clock and we're going to go out. So we and the crew hop on the rig and we go to uh, do our shopping at the courier. There's a rainbow over there. It's really close to the firehouse. So we're there kind of doing our shopping and um, a run comes in uh, smoking the billing call. So, 
no big deal. We just kind of run out to the rig. We, uh, our driver takes off code three lights and sirens. We were done on our stuff on the way to the run and to the, we arrive cause we're really close to the address. So we arrive, you know, really, really right after the engine company. So engine 11 is arriving. They're the rig with the hose lines on there for your listeners. Um, they actually have the, they lay the lines and put the water on the fire. We are a big, big truck, a big rig. And we got, we're a ladder company, rescue company. So we're arriving right behind them. And as we pull up to the the building, um, we have a three-story, the engine company is doing what we think, what we call a size up. So a size up is just like a, an introduction of like what the incident commander, the first officer on site is, what he sees in terms of the billion. We got us into the location. So he's sizing it up saying we got a three-story residential with a light haze, no, no visible fire. You know, we're going to get ready to lay a line. Um, we're going to flake out the hose. At this point, we're coming in, we're riding right after, and then we're going to know our, our job then at this point is to go in and do a primary search. So um, my captain and my, myself are going to go in there and go in there and make sure that everybody's out of the building and simultaneously we're going to look for the seat of the fire. So we go up to the front door of this three-story house and we're down in our, our mask. Um, getting ready to go and we go in and kind of work our way up to the third floor and at this point they're, they're really just a haze no fire at all so we get up to the third floor there's a room up there so my captain kind of goes to the left and I go to the right kind of meet in the halfway part in this in this room and we can hear a fire crackling like a campfire it's crackling and popping in the knee wall so in the drywall in within the wall space so at this point it, it's pretty much a bread and butter fire, standard fire, if there is such a thing in the fire service. So at this time, we're we're radioing down to Engine 11. Hey, we found the fire up here. Bring your hose line up here. We'll wait for you guys to get up here. We'll, you know, we'll kind of chop into the wall and put the wet stuff on the red stuff, essentially. The water on the fire. So we hear them kind of coming up, stumbling up the stairs with the hose line. And at this point, I go to breach the wall um, with my axe. I go to chop into the wall where the fire, where I think the fire is. So at this point, what happened was this fire was just starving for oxygen. It was an electrical fire that was smoldering in the knee wall. And when I chopped into the wall, I don't know if your listeners or your, your viewers or yourself have ever seen the movie in the 80s called Backdraft. Oh, yeah. Um, so mm -hmm. what happened was there was a backdraft that was ignited. So this firing, this fire that was smoldering got this introduction to auction and it picked up because it had containment, fuel source, and ignition like a bomb. So the the house actually picked up off the foundation with the explosion in the midst of all this, I got blown 11 feet one way. Um, the engine company with the water, this really was a, a bunch of fire. It was a, just a, a bunch of fire pushed these guys right down the stairs. We had no water and their, their line was kind of get, was out of, they just lost control of it. So it was going everywhere. And then my captain that was with me got blown the other way. So in the midst of all this, um, it really was an inferno. So it was, it was floor to ceiling fire and wall to wall fire. It was just an inferno in the back of my, you can see that's the fire up there. I was in, mm -hmm. I jumped at this point. I had a, a beam of sunlight that hit me in the, in the eyes actually. And, and was my, was my trail out essentially. So I followed the sunlight to the third wind story window where I yelled for a ladder. Um, and I didn't get a ladder. They couldn't get it there in time. And I, I just jumped. I was on fire and I jumped from the third floor. By the grace of God, I landed on that porch overhang that was there and saved my life or I wouldn't be here talking to you today. Um, 
people ask, you know, you would you really jump out of a building, you know? Um, and I can tell you when you start burning, you're going to do whatever it is to get stop burning. So right. I, everything on my SCBA, everything at my helmet, my mask, everything was melted up. I was embedded in rough shape. So um, I gained composure on that overhang. I kind of, they had a ladder there and I kind of walked myself down to the ambulance and I didn't know how bad it was at this point, Michael. I just, I knew, you know, I didn't know. So I kind of was walking down to the end of the block where the ambulance was and I, people were looking at me and they couldn't look at me and they were just kind of moving their head the other way. So I knew at this point, like they're seeing some iron. So at the first point I, I go to take my turnout coat off and all my skin is hanging off my hands at this point. And the amount of pain that I'm feeling within my hands, particularly because I had my gloves off to yeah. feel for the, the, the heat in the room and the knee wall. Um, so I hopped in the ambulance that got, you know, some, and they got me going with some pain management, some morphine, and that did nothing. Then they whisked me code three down to our hospital here, downtown Minneapolis called Hennepin Healthcare. Um, they admitted me into the stab in the stab room where they try to, where they're stabilizing me. Um, and I had, um, third and fourth degree burns to my hands. And I had second degree from a vast majority of my upper extremities, my face, my arms, my back. Um, it broke, broken a talus, my talus bone on this, um, which is your main bone in your foot that was broke on that huge fall, um, and hurt my knee and stuff. So anyway, and I'm in there, um, and basically I was admitted now at this point for all this. And I was started to uh, undergoing skin graft surgeries where they, um, they take skin off donor sites of your body that's not burned. And then they start to put it over places like my hands were unburned. Um, when the when the when the burns are so deep, like they were, they burned out of the tendons. I didn't have any dermis left, any skin left. So um, I spent just shy of four weeks in this burn unit before I, uh, you know, I, I checked myself out. I should have been there a lot longer, but I really didn't. At this point, I didn't really want to live much anymore, Michael. I was really just struggling to live, um, knowing that my career as a firefighter would be, you know, taken away and I, w I wasn't going to have same function on my hands and all these things. So anyway, I was really in a bad place in a rough place and dark place. So it really wasn't until two little boys that entered my life that changed really my trajectory and the perspective that I had in life. And really what happened was, is one day these two little boys, a three and a five-year-old were admitted to the room next to me in the burn unit but when they rolled them in on this gurney, they were had bad facial burns and they were really in rough shape. And, um, you know, these two little boys were living in a tent because their family fell in hard times. And, uh, you know, the three-year-old found a lighter, started playing with the lighter. And that, next thing you know, the five-year-old goes in and pulls little brother out. And in the midst of all this, they're badly burned. Well, anyway, I see these two little boys and they're way worse than I am. And I got to thinking, you know, if they can get through this, I can get through this. And they didn't even have a choice in the matter. So all these things kind of ran through my head. So I really changed my perspective from being inward on myself to outward on like, they can do it. I can do it. So I started digging in and it really changed the trajectory. So at this time, what happened was we, there was a bunch of news, you know, stories that went out and the community started to rally for us. They knew we were injured and, and then they threw a big fundraiser downtown Minneapolis here at a place called seven sushi. And there was hundreds of people, Michael, that came every, you know, many departments, just hundreds. It was a sea of people there. 
and they raised a bunch of money for us. And I was in this, I was at this event. I was so torn and so sad for these two little boys that I thought, where's their, who's advocating for them? There's nobody advocating for them. Like who's going to support them. So at this point, I knew in my heart, like something had, had changed and I knew we had to do something for these two little boys. So at this time we took uh, $5,000 of these dollars that were raised for us and we donated over to a burn unit over here locally, uh, a region's burn unit where it sent some kids out to uh, a pediatric camp. So when they have scars like me, they can go and, and not be singled out and judged and they can just be around other kids like them. And this is really a healing component modality um, process of the next stage in terms of healing from burns. So anyway, this is when the organization firefighters for healing was essentially born. Um, and really at this time in 2010, it was born. And then it, I guess it kind of evolved into much more. I'll tell you later, but the, the key like tenants of what the organization started doing early on were we were going to start by, you know, sending kids, helping kids that were burn survivors and we started by sending kids to a burn camp. And then what we did kind of simultaneously is like we started bringing um, fire trucks of gifts down to the burn unit every Christmas for kids. Um, and we bring that in there. And it wasn't really just the toys, but it was really going and, and bringing in a lot of hope and, you know, a, a really mindful, loving perspective for them and showing them that people are there for them, strangers, community, people they've never met that care about them. So we would just go running in there with all this love and cheer, holiday cheer. And it really changed everybody's perspective. So it started with the the Christmas blessing. And then that kind of grew. We sent kids to a burn camp for many, many years in Colorado. And then what happened is we started needing to know, let's create our own burn camp. So for many, many years of talk, um, we finally created our own burn camp, which is called Camp Red. And that stands for Realize Every Dream. So now we've been running our own pediatric family burn camp for seven years. And it's up here in Minnesota in a splendor of a, of a community, um, a town called Cross Lake, Minnesota. In there, we're on a, on a beautiful um, peninsula of land where these kids, these families can come up there for a week and they can be around other kids like them. They can go to the waterfront and embrace their scars. They can, you know, see things. They can do archery. They can have, you know, different crafts and activities that are that are really systematically put in for therapy. So they can work towards all this. And it's a big part of their healing. And then it's camaraderie and community. And this builds like friends, long lasting friends and this is a part of their healing. So then it kind of started there. And then what happened was after we brought that, Michael, to fruition, both these things, uh, we then went back to our docs here locally and said, you know, what more can we do for the burn community here at our hospital? Like, where are there more needs? And at this point, um, our main burn doc said, hey, listen, we need housing from our families since we, we service seven state reach here. Um, and we need, we need housing. So, okay, we'll, we'll figure this out, this housing out. So, um, we started really, really small in scale with, um, hotel stays, Michael, we started doing hotel stays, you know? So when, when families would come in seven state reach, when their loved one was being treated here, they would come here and they would need a place. Their families would need a place while their patient, their children or their parents are, 
their siblings or whoever was in the burn unit being treated for their burns, they need. So we had hotel partnerships that we did, you know, for a long time. And then hotels got really expensive and it right. really wasn't the best, you know, kind of way to do it. So then what we did was we went to our good friends at Carl Sanderson here locally. He's a construction company and they built a new building right by the, our burn unit here locally, which was a, 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 a 15 story building. And we got three apartments where we subleased three of them at first for our families. So three became two, like we're full. Then three went to five, five went to seven. And then we thought, gosh, you know, this is started back in 2018. We started doing this. And we're like, wow, we, we need to figure something more out, more long-term, more sustainable and more, you know, we just can't rent something. So then at this point, we we're in the midst of others, like we got to build our own building. Yeah. You know, we got to build a healing center, a one of a kind in North America transitional healing center. So at this point, our board chair, Chris Dunker and myself, we kind of scoured the whole U.S. and outside the U.S. for somebody that's done something similar in scale to this. And we found like around McDonald houses, but nobody that really kind of serviced the burn community. Um, and then... So we found one in, in um, Vancouver. First, so we went up, we hopped on a plane and we flew up to Vancouver, and we met with a place called the BC Burn Fund. So there was at the time there ED there was um, her name was Lisa, and I, I had a friend that another burn survivor that I met along the way that helped make introductions. So we started learning working with their whole Lisa and their whole team on well how they did this piece of this development piece that they did with their healing center. So we got their schematics, their blueprints, their drawings, their fundraising, you know, framework. We really dug into everything that we could learn from them. And then we flew back here and we just jumped off the plane running essentially. Um, and it took us, it took us just over seven years, Michael, to figure out, how to bring our own transition and healing center to fruition. We did that. We just had a ribbon cutting last Wednesday. It took us that long to figure out how to, to build this. And what really, what it's the first of its kind of North America. And I can share this with you is um, yeah. Like the Shriners and Galveston, they, they have some trailers. Right. There's places that have housing, but ours is the first of its kind because we built it out like a firehouse, like an old firehouse. So in the midst of all this, this summer, the oldest fire station in Minneapolis called Station One, it's off Portland and Third Street down here. It was early 1900s fire station when they, they happened to be turned this down in the time that we were building our transgender healing center. So we talked to the developer and the builder about getting their pole, all the old brick, some of the alarms, like all these like cool artifacts we were able to get out of Station One. And then we use them in our, our architects use them in our build out of our own healing center. So when you come into our healing center, we wanted it to feel like an old firehouse where you'd feel a natural community, camaraderie, right. safety, security kind of feel flow to it. Right. So now we have a fire pole in our plate in our new healing center, all this little brick, um, an old fire truck. we got a beautiful mural that was painted up there that depicts the whole chronology from the fire. I just talked about to, you know, where this kind of all came to be the foundation. So really um, overall, just what we do at Firefighters for Healing is our, what our mission is, is we serve um, the burn survivors in ways um, where insurance companies, caregivers are unable 
And we also expanded our mission, not only to burn survivors, but firefighters and first responders as a whole. And the reason why we did that was when I, when I had to retire from firefighting, it was a really, really difficult thing for me. Um, it was a loss. It, it took me, and maybe not as significant as losing a loved one, but it was, it's pretty similar. It took me many years to be able to work through this, this loss before I could go into a firehouse, but I love the fire, you know, service so much that what I thought, what more can we do for them? How can we serve them in a way that they've never been served? So we opened our, our healing center up now for any firefighter or first responder needing any place to stay. And they're coming into the twin cities for cancer, you know, cardiac, um, PTSD. I mean, you name it. We have a laundry list of stuff that they can stay now in our healing center. And they're doing that already. We've had apartments, um, that we've been doing this since 2018. So now with our new healing center, we're going to, that's kind of, we opened up our, our mission to that. So that's just a quick, really synopsis, a uh, high level of how the organization firefighters Healing was born from the experience was. And then, you know, throughout the, the time of that, we've gained a lot of traction and it's really morphed into, you know, a bigger picture thing. Um, at one, um, a couple of years, really what helped us back in 2015, really what helped us kind of catapult our, our momentum you know, to really kind of capture um, the things that we're doing. Well, there are two things. Well, number one is really this is, you know, all this is, I wouldn't be here talking to you today if it wasn't by the grace of God. Like, you know, first of all, if you ask anybody in the fire service, like how rare are backdrafts? Well, they, they're in the millions. They, they really can't happen. It's a perfect storm is what the investigator said. So that's one thing. And the second thing is, if a backdraft does happen and you're able to get, you know, jump on fire from three stories and survive, like it definitely was a divine intervention. And in the big guy upstairs had way more going on. And so all grace to God. And, and then when the midst of all this in 2015, we won this award. Um, and it was by the American heroes channel. And it was the, it was an inaugural award in, um, a nine 11 hero named Wells, Crowther. And he uh, is a hero because he saved 12 people in the South Tower um, before he gave his life on 9-11. And in this story, really, all the survivors were able to really figure out who Wells was because Wells used to wear a red handkerchief, a red bandana around his face. So all these survivors kept going back. There was a man in a red bandana. So anyway, Allison Crowther, her mother, his Wells' mother actually went through and reading through New York times and really put this all together. That was walls that did it. So this story is it's a uh, paramount on, on the South of nine 11 story that uh, president Obama actually shared in his 10 year um, inauguration of all this. So it's a, a, a story and we won this award um, in the midst of this, we learned, it, you know, it was our work. It wasn't, you know, it was our impact here in the community that we were doing that won this award, but it helped us create the legs and, and, the and create catapulted a lot of momentum to really help us kind of like drive these big picture initiatives to fruition. Like, cause we really are a small organization doing extraordinary things, having a huge impact, but that kind of helped us. Um, and really my faith throughout this is really kind of kept me, you know, kept me steadfast on my path moving forward. And, and a lot of amazing people on our board and collaborators, supporters like yourself that have reached out. But um, that's the quick synopsis of the organization. Um, so I'll kind of push pause really quick and, you know, open it up if you had any comments or you have any questions you wanted to kind of drill into there. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, you definitely had a higher purpose. Uh, so with creating the organization and helping the families, how has that helped your healing process, both uh, physically and mentally? Yeah, I mean, it's a good point you bring up. Like, I think a big part of this without the organization giving back the way that I do, it it's ongoing you know, therapy for me and healing for me without it. I don't, I wouldn't be where I'm at today without it. Like, you know, to try to tell you like I, this has been an easy journey. It hasn't. And it's, I can get back into my, in the weeds pretty quick on this stuff. And, you know, these injuries and all the other things, like if I didn't have this to do and get up a purpose worth living for every single day, that's granted to myself, I don't know where I'd be today. And it is a part of my ongoing process of healing uh, psychologically to your point and physically um, and also others too like others that have gotten involved with our organization either survivors or firefighters or it's also their ongoing healing of their way it's kind of a a healing modality for them as well a healing mechanism for them as well so they can be a part of something one thing I loved so much even outside of the, just being a burn survivor is one thing that I miss so much about the fire service is the camaraderie right so you know, you share a lot of days, a lot of meals, a lot of good times, a lot of bad times with your brothers and sisters, and they become like almost closer than your family. So one thing when I lost that I was really starving for was how can we recreate something like that? Like in our, in our own organization, firefighters feeling, and we have, we've, we've really kind of um, cultivated a beautiful camaraderie within our board like people, it fills their buckets up every single day to, to kind of serve a purpose greater than yourself. And one of the unique components to it that I've never really, you know, I've figured out a long time ago is it's not like ego keeps you alive in the fire service. That's what it really is good for, um, is it keeping you alive. But within this philanthropy work, um, like you don't really, there's no ego. You really, I learned a long time ago is you got to keep your focus outwards on the mission. And if you're doing that, the mission will move forward. And the moment you move your focus inwards on like, what's in this for me kind of thing, this is the moment things don't work so good. So we've been able to cultivate a beautiful harmonious like type of culture here um, of, of not only a meaningful purpose, but meaningful relationships here. So it is almost better than the fire service. And these people that I'm, I'm blessed to be a part of, um, I get to share the wins, the not so good days with them, just like I did in the fire service. And they've really enriched my life and um, they've inspired me to be a better version of myself every single day. So it's a kind of ongoing therapy, not only for me, but everybody, it just, it changes the world. It's like nuclear power. So. You were talking a little bit about uh, the burn camps you created. How does it feel seeing the faces of kids that could just, you know, enjoy themselves with people going through similar experiences? Yeah, I mean, interesting to say that is, uh, so the two little boys that were in the burn unit with me, Cameron and Cade, their names, right? I can say them because they're close to me and I, I love them. Um, well, many years went on with our burn camp before they could come, but they finally, we worked really hard to get them to come to our burn camp. And they finally did, both of them. They're in a different foster care um houses so they're not together in terms of where they live so they don't really get a chance to see each other so much but they finally come to camp and they get to be together i get to be with them 
I'm not a parent, but I get a little kind of glimpse on what how awesome and amazing it is to be a parent. We have this unique bond with with children. Mine isn't so much like um, you know biology or just a DNA um, bond, but a bond of trauma, a bond of surviving something that's really profound and life changing in your life. And in this camaraderie and this bond that I have with them is I've been through this with them. I survive. I'm a survivor as they are. And I get to share this at camp with them and, and, and share the same space with them and share this love that really changes the trajectory of, of not only our healing, you know, um, long-term, but just the course of the world. So yeah, I get to see them. I get to meet so many cool, um, children that are really now not just burn survivors, but they're thriving and they're, and they're, they're burn thrivers. They're thriving. And it, part of this, their experience has really changed who they are as, as a, as a human as well. And they're able to, you know, make, you know, positive impacts and changes. So this camp is, is much more than just a camp that you, you, you envision in terms of going up North and, you know, going canoeing and having campfires. Right. It's much more profound than that. And it changes the world. So it's, it's changed theirs. It's changed mine. It's, I, 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 I look forward, you know, to going every year and I get to go up there with them and to see the smiles, to see the healing, to see the community, the camaraderie, the connections they're making, life-changing connections it's it's beyond and transcends anything i can tell you over this interview it really is that it's it's trans it's just transcends all that it's transcendent so anywho it's profound and um i it's 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 a it's a lifelong fulfilling of mine so so the pat you've made you know incredible progress with the organization already but where would you want to see the organization in the next three to five years? Yeah, I mean, I, I've had this question before and, you know, it's really, a you know, for me, it's, you know, I think I, I did an interview a week ago and the one guy said to me, he says, well, you just made it sound like you got here and it was just like this really, you know, just went and did this. And it's like, you, you didn't really go, go do it. Like what I, what's been going on the last 12 and a half years, over 12 and a half years is, I mean, to get a building done in Minneapolis, don't tell them by U.S. Bank Stadium, it's a billion dollar stadium. Like there's hundreds and hundreds of meetings that went into it and time right. and energy that I, I really carved into it and stuff. And and I guess you talk about like, you know, um, looking forward a bit, you know, being kind of what's the next thing, kind of the, you know, audacious things or what are the goals? And I, I think number one is we got to get this uh, building paid off. I mean, it's a $6.2 million capital campaign that we have going on right now you know we want to pay this off get this free and clear so we're not praying for bricks and mortar anymore dead on that you know what we want to do then is work towards creating an endowment which we already are that will then make this legacy a healing sustainable so when i'm gone uh, all of us are gone that this is important that this carries on as a legacy of healing that's what we call that a, a legacy footprint of healing in downtown minneapolis so it'll continue on to feed this thing the programming that goes within it to help people burn survivors tribes, and firefighters and first responders and nobody needs to go and do anything so that's that's the next three to five years is doing that i've had other people say hey you know would you want to do this in different geographies and it's like you know, we want to really perfect what we've done here and then we can grow it out. You know, we can definitely grow it outwards and I'm not opposed to that. I just, those are our big picture, our big rocks to, um, in terms of 
next steps of what we need to achieve. And then, you know, be happy to help anybody else, you know, do something similar in scale outside our, you know, geography. So sustainability is important for us, making sure this thing will run. And there's no sense of building a healing center if you can't keep it sustainable. So what advice would you give uh, young firefighters just coming into the industry? Well, I'll tell you what, my mentor in the fire service was a really, um, really special person to me. Um, his name is Ron Jagaka. He, uh, he was a, a gunner, um, a machine gunner on a Huey. Um, and he did a many, many tours and he was, he's the apex of a firefighter as I always, you know, he used to drive the front of the ladder truck and I drive the, the till the ladder in the back. I drive the back of it. It's called tiller man. And he told me when I got on the job one time, he says, kid, you just won. You got a winning lottery ticket. You won the lottery. And I really believe that wholeheartedly. I still to this day, like it's really back in the day, you know, take a civil service test. It was really, really, um, rare to even get through it took me 10 years to you know bring this dream to childhood dream to fruition that'd be a fireman like my dad but i guess my advice would be to anybody getting in the fire service right now is you really did win the the lottery like enjoy and enjoy that experience and like every all their per, any all those senior people told me at the time like this is going to go quick and when you're young and kind of like you think you're invincible and you know, you're just green and at that time in a rookie, like you think that the world is yours and stuff, but I'd say appreciate every moment of it and appreciate the job for what you have. Like it is a winning lottery ticket. It was the best job in the world to go and get an opportunity to help those that need it most day in and day out. So, you know, embrace that opportunity that you have. It's not a job. It's, it's a calling. It's a, uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a winning lottery ticket. So embrace it, enjoy it. And it goes quick. And you never know what's going to change your life within the span of your career as well. Like we never knew we were walking into that storm. Then knew a lot of fires almost gave my life a couple different times along the thing, but that fire, we did everything right. And could have did anything different it just was what it was and we didn't know we didn't we're not holding the you know i don't have a crystal ball none of us do so enjoy right. enjoy every moment and every day of of the career how can people reach out to you yeah um they can find us um on www.firefighters plural with an s for forhealing.org they can find us on our website um, and it's not really like this huge, you know, abundance of a website. It's really easy to navigate. They can go on there and take within a couple minutes, they can figure out pretty much everything they need, but it talks to all of our initiatives that going on our camp healing center. Um, we've got a lot of videos on there in terms of a lot of the stuff, um, content that we've done, uh, testimonials of, of the impact that we're having on there too. There's volunteer opportunities. They can click on there. We, there's a, a link that brings it to our volunteer coordinator, um, we're always looking for people to help out at these events or at the healing center, or just if they're outside our geography, just spread the word on us. And, and if people have the means, um, from a monetary capacity, we always need help with the capital campaign. So those are really the, you know, I guess the top of the mind things, they can find a lot of information on there. And then I'd say 
follow us on our social media properties too. Um, we're on all of them, like Instagram, LinkedIn, and Fire uh, Facebook as well. So yeah, that's where they can find us.